You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Schenk of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now for pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able. He calls you now. I believe miracles are happening every single day of our lives. They might be small miracles, they might be all kinds of things, but I think God is at work in our lives doing mighty, mighty, mighty things. And I think if we would just take the time to look at what He's doing and see these miracles, see these things that He's doing, we would have been encouraged in our faith. I mean, if you're born again and you have faith in Jesus Christ, is that not a miracle? Is that a miracle that your life has been changed drastically by Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit? What do you qualify as a miracle? Pastor Dave suggests to us today that there are many miracles happening all the time. God is always moving in big things and small. What miracles are happening in your life? If we take some time to observe and praise the Lord, we can be encouraged. Well, let's join Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 19 verse 11 with part one of our message entitled, Do you believe in miracles? Today we're in Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. So if you'll turn there, we're only going to do two verses today. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them, or went out of them. Today's message is entitled, Do You Believe in Miracles? Now, before I talk about this or ask you to answer this thing, maybe we need to discover just what constitute a miracle. A miracle might be different to different people. What's the definition of a miracle, you might ask? Many things have been called miracles, many, many different things. And in the casual usage of the word miracle, it's like any event that is statistically unlikely but beneficial. For example, surviving a natural disaster. It might be something that's simply wonderful. It might be a wonderful occurrence. It might be things, something like the birth of a newborn. Other miracles might be surviving a terminal illness or escaping a life-threatening situation or beating the odds, like major upsets in sporting events people have called miracles. And when I was thinking about this, anybody ever heard of the miracle on ice? 1980, United States Olympic hockey team. The miracle on ice, it's now a popular culture. It's, it's very cultural. And in the medal round of the ice hockey game in 1980, the United States was going against the dreaded Soviet Union, mm, the bad guys. And we were going against them. The United States had never beaten the Soviet Union in ice hockey, never even came close to beating the Soviet Union in ice hockey. And they went there at Lake Placid, New York in 1980. At that time, the United States teams was made up of amateur people. Amateur, college people, no professionals. But the Russians, these guys were professionals. That's what they did. They got paid to be there. Anyhow, we had been defeated by them many times. They had won world titles and Olympic titles since 1954. This was 1980. USA went in there, and they beat them. They beat them in a non-medal round. They beat them. Sports Illustrated said it was a miracle on ice and it was the top sports moment of the 20th century, according to Sports Illustrated. In fact, on the 11th anniversary 
of the celebrations in 2008, the International Ice Hockey Federation chose the Miracle on Ice as the century's number one international ice story. I remember watching the game. I remember rooting, USA, USA, what a great time it was. And I remember the very end, at the very end, this famous voice. I think it was Al Michaels. I think it was Al Michaels' voice when he said, right at the end, time was running out, and he yells, do you believe in miracles? The United States won, and they tap danced around, and everybody cheered, and it was crazy. Was that a miracle? I guess it was to some. They had never beaten them before. They beat the odds. Does it constitute a miracle? Well, it depends upon what your definition of a miracle is. To them, I'm sure it was a miracle. According to our friend Webster's 1828, a miracle is literally a wonder or wonderful thing. Well, the United States beating the Soviet Union in ice hockey, that was a wonderful thing. It did great for patriotism back in the 1980s. I mean, also didn't do bad for ice hockey. But as the definition continues, a miracle is an event or effect contrary to the established constitution and course of things. Hmm. Or it's a deviation from the known laws of nature, a supernatural event. Hmm. This leads me to another definition. A miracle is always or could be attributed to the divine intervention. In other words, a miracle is an event which is orchestrated by God. As I stated, a miracle is sometimes thought as a perceptible interruption of laws of nature. And some suggest that, that God may work with these laws of nature to perform what people see as miracles. And some theologians say that with divine providence, God regularly works through created nature, but yet he's free to work above or whatever he wants to do. I believe that those things we talked about as being statistically unlikely, like surviving a natural disaster, or even the wonderful occurrence of childbirth. Surviving a terminal illness or escaping a life-threatening situation, I see these as supernatural events and I attribute them to divine intervention. I mean, I believe in my heart that it's a minor miracle that Lou and I are here today. Driving home late last night, close to... 9.30 or so, we're coming to the last rest stop on the parkway coming down. I'm in the right lane because there's a car right here that I'm, I'm going to pass. There's a cop car over here who has stopped somebody for speeding. We're coming up to the entrance of the rest area. I take one look at the cop car and I look up and this car over in the right-hand lane says, Ooh, I'm going to the rest area. Shoom. Right in front of me. I tapped the brakes. The car swerved a little bit. And I said... Did we just almost hit that car? And Lou said, yep. We didn't. Here we are. Is that a miracle? I believe God's hand was on it. I believe God's hand was there. I was going 70 miles an hour in the passing lane. Wouldn't take much to make that car go out of control. I don't know. You be the judge. I believe miracles are happening every single day of our lives. They might be small miracles. They might be all kinds of things. But I think God is at work in our lives doing mighty, mighty, mighty things. And I think if we would just take the time to look at what he's doing and see these miracles, see these things that he's doing, we would have been encouraged in our faith. I mean, if you're born again and you have faith in Jesus Christ, is that not a miracle? Is that not a miracle that your life has been changed drastically by Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit? Listen to what John Corson said about miracles. 
He said, quote, the Lord is too big to be boxed in by theology or intellectual capacity of finite man. Thus, there is an underlying element of mystery about him and about his dealings that we cannot begin to grasp or comprehend until we see him face to face, unquote. Pretty interesting. In other words, sometimes God works mysteriously. Sometimes he works in a mysterious way. Let me point one mysterious way out to you. In 2 Kings 13, maybe you know the story. Following the death of Elisha, some Moabites decided that they were going to invade Israel and they were going to come in and they were going to ransack the countryside, doing this and doing that. Well, one of their friends died while they were doing this. Well, they didn't want to drag him around with us forever, so they wanted to dispose of his body. So they just happened to come across Elisha's tomb. It was the tomb of Elisha, where Elisha lay after being dead. And they took this body and they deposited it in the tomb and they went on their way. Well, guess what? The dead body they threw into the tomb, when it hit Elisha's bones, came alive. Can you imagine that? Thinking your friend is dead, you throw him in a tomb, and the next thing you know, you're tying up your camel and you go, what? You're, never mind. God works mysterious in our lives. It's a total mystery, but it's a miracle nonetheless. Think about this. Is there anything too hard for God? Is there anything impossible for God? If you believe that there's nothing impossible for God, then you must believe in miracles. And that's what God does. God does the impossible. God does the impossible. Look at our text today. And we're going to try to keep everything in context. We see the Lord working miracles through the hands of Paul. In verse 11 it says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Notice that Dr. Luke writes a specific word here. These aren't just miracles. They're unusual miracles. The New American Standard says God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. I like that. Extraordinary. They were, they were different. I mean, for me, a miracle is a miracle, but these were even different than that. The interesting thing as I studied this is that, you know, my love for the Greek. And, and when you study the Greek language, it, it makes things seem much more exciting to me. The word used here for miracles is none other than the word dunamis. It means miraculous powers. Miraculous powers. Mm, where have we heard that word before? Oh, yeah, Acts 1 verse 8. Jesus described it when he promised the Holy Spirit would come upon them with power. Let me read it to you. But you shall receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. In verse 11, we see God doing the miraculous by the hands of Paul. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this. In the book of Acts, many, many, many miracles are recorded. Dr. Luke takes great pains in recording these miracles in the exact way that they happen. I mean, it's pretty neat. We started back in Acts 2.43 when it says the apostles were given the power to do many signs and wonders. It's pretty cool because if you go with the Greek word for signs and wonders, it's semenyon, meaning supernatural miracle. They've been given the powers, the dunamis power by the Holy Spirit. Then we saw Peter and John come to the gate beautiful. They came to the gate beautiful, and there was a man who had been lame, asking for alms. And Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, reaches down and grabs this guy. He grabs him by the robe, and he said, silver and gold I don't have, 
But what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he actually lifts the guy up. And the verbiage in Luke says that as he lifted him up, the bones of his feet actually reconnected in a medical way, giving him the ability to stand and leap and jump. Wow. I wonder who was more surprised, the guy or Peter. I don't know which one. I mean, it must have been a fantastic time, but, but this wasn't done on a whim. This wasn't some promotional event. Peter didn't go on tour after this and go, hey, I got the power of hearing. Come on up. You need to be healed. Let's go. Come on over here. This was something that the Holy Spirit gave him to do at that time. It was something that he, he knew that God wanted him to do it because he sat there. God gave Peter this supernatural power and trusted him to do this. And Peter trusted him explicitly. Peter asked the impossible of this man. This man had never walked. Never walked. Sometimes the Lord asks the impossible of us. Sometimes the impossible for us that the Lord asks us to do is to simply believe in a time of adversity. Believe when all the circumstances are stacked up against you. When all the circumstances are right there. Your marriage is falling apart. You're being fired from work. You can't find a job. You have no money to pay the bills. Your kids are going crazy. All kinds of stuff has happened in your life. And he says... Trust me on this. I got it. What? Trust me. Surely there's got to be something I have to do. I have to go out and work and fix this thing and do this and do that. No, no, no. What you have to do is you have to trust me because I'm in control here. That may seem impossible to some people. That may be seem impossible to some people because you know in your heart, I've got to be able to fix this. Well, no, sometimes you can't fix it. It's a no-fix situation, and only God can fix it. And when we trust in him, when we give him our lives and say, okay, Lord, I'm trusting you 100% here. I'm not sure what the outcome looks like, but I know according to your word, it's going to be good. So I trust in you. And he says, okay, I've been waiting for that. And he takes over. And the miraculous happens. People are saved. Marriages are, are restored. Children come back from being prodigals. Jobs appear out of nowhere. Bills get paid. Finances don't seem to have a problem. Illnesses are healed. That's miraculous. Those things are miraculous. When you open the refrigerator door and there's nothing in there, and somebody knocks on your door from out of nowhere and gives you an envelope and says, I think the Lord wanted me to give this to you. Or when somebody sticks their head in a mailbox and yells, Jesus loves you. I told you that story a long time ago. Guy was driving down the street. All of a sudden, heard the Lord tell him, stick his head in the mailbox and yell, Jesus loves you. Stick my head in a mailbox. No, stick your head in a mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. And as he's driving now, he's driving through a neighborhood that he's never been in before. And he kept on over and over and over. Stick your head in the mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. Stick your head in the mailbox and say, Jesus loves you. Okay. So he stopped the car. Now he's mad. He gets out of the car and he walks up to the first mailbox. He says, opens it up, shoves his head in here and goes, Jesus loves you. Closes the mailbox and he gets back in his car. And just as he got back in his car, the door opens. This guy comes running out. And he went, okay, Lord, here we go. I'm going to get the snot beat out of me because here comes this guy because I'm yelling, Jesus loves you. And this guy comes running out, and the guy's in tears, crying. He looks at the guy. He says, wait, 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 and stops the guy. And he rolls down the room. He says, did you just say that? He said, yeah. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Let me show you something. He goes back and brings a rope out that had a hangman's noose in it. 
He says, I'm in the shower. I got this hangman's noose around my neck, and I'm going to hang myself because every, my life is terrible. And I'm just ready to knock the stool out and kill myself, and I hear somebody say, Jesus loves me. I want to know this Jesus. Ah, coincidence. Coincidence. Many of us believe that the Lord is able to do the impossible. You just said that. But do you believe that the Lord is willing to do the impossible? It's easy to say, Lord, I know you can. I know you can. This is when our faith starts to waver. This is when our faith starts to go, The trouble is often we believe that we will, but our faith wavers. We don't question his ability, but we question his willingness. Sometimes we just need a point of faith. Sometimes we need a little point of faith. Of course, and said this, quote, God has given us certain physical expressions to help trigger our faltering faith. These are called point of faith. Let me give you a couple examples. What do they look like? Well, first of all, the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. You, you might lay hands on healing. You might lay hands for receiving the Holy Spirit. You might be sending out ministry and we lay hands on you and, and, and commend you to the Lord. Now, there's nothing magical or mystery about laying on of hands. We're following biblical precedents, but there's nothing even miraculous. But it becomes a point of faith, a point of faith that helps a person who needs to be filled or desires to be healed. It gives them a point of faith. Let me give you another example. There's a lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She tried every doctor she could try. She tried every home remedy. She did everything she could possibly do, but nothing seemed to work. For 12 years, she had an issue of blood. In those days, if you had an issue with blood, that meant you were unclean. You couldn't be around people. You had to be secluded someplace by yourself. She hears someone talking. You know, Jesus is coming to town. Jesus? I've heard things about Jesus. I heard he can heal. I heard he can do the miraculous. I've got to have a face-to-face -face with him. But you're unclean. Oh, I've got to have a face-to-face -face with him. She goes to where Jesus is coming, and the crowd is huge. The crowd is all around him. I'll never see him. I'm going to have this issue of blood for the rest of my life. I'll never see him. I'm unclean. People are going to stone me for even being here. What can I do? What can I do? If I just touch the hem of his robe, if I just get through the crowd and touch the hem of his robe, that was her point of faith. It wasn't the robe. It was the one who was in the robe. It was the one who wore the robe. But she believed in her heart that if she just touched that, that hem, if she just touched that, she'd be healed. You know the story. She touched it. And what happened? She was healed. She was healed. Many of you probably have seen the, the movie from the 50s called The Robe with Richard Burton. Was there a point in there after he has the robe that Jesus wore? There's a point in there where Caligula gets the robe, and Caligula has the robe, and he has one of his servants kill another man right in front of him. And he takes the robe and he puts it on him and says, Now rise, now run. He does all this stuff. It's not the robe. It was the one who was in the robe. It was the one who we believe in. It was Jesus Christ. Likewise, we're told in James 5 to anoint with oil. The oil has no miraculous power. It does represent the Holy Spirit. But it's a point of faith. It's a point of faith in which it helps trigger our faith to believe. In our study, that's what's happening today in Ephesus. Look at verse 12. 
So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were bought from his body, that's Paul, to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. The Greek word here used for handkerchief is so darn you know. It means a towel that is used to wipe the sweat off your brow when you're working. It's a sweatband. It's a gnarly old nasty sweatband. He had aprons that he used to wear. And he would work and he would do his tent making, all this kind of stuff, and he would lay this thing down. And someone would take it. And they'd go out and they'd find somebody who was sick or somebody who had an evil spirit. And they'd give them this thing and they'd lay it on top of them and they would be healed. It was a band of sweat. It was a band of sweat. But they became a point of faith. It triggered a faith in Jesus Christ. And Christ was doing it. How could Paul take credit for that? How could Paul say, look what I did. I think I'll sweat more, more so we can have more sweatbands. I'll go into sweatband ministry. That's what we'll do. We'll set it up, put everybody in a dark room, we'll turn up the temperature real hot, and as they sweat, we'll wipe it off, and we'll put those babies out there. By the way, have I sold you my prayer cloth yet? Well, you didn't get one in the mail yet? I'll have to get your address. I'll send you one. It's a trigger of Paul's faith. Paul's not taking any credit for it. God was working miraculous, and he was using Paul's sweatbands to trigger these people's faith. If this doesn't constitute a miracle, then I don't know what a miracle is. There can be no question that miracles were a prominent part in the ministry of the early church. There's no question. We can all agree to that. But it might bring up the question is, why don't we see more miracles today? Why don't we see these miraculous things? Many people, the first thing they want to do is they want to blame God. They want to blame God. God doesn't do miracles anymore. Well, miracles stopped with the apostolic age. Nobody does miracles. He doesn't use people like that anymore. You know, often the theory is, is that God used miracles as a means to help the church get firmly planted. It gave the apostles credence in their word. The people looked at them. It gave them a point of reference. And that's, that's true. That's very true. People think that once the church was established and the church was able to build cathedrals and seminaries, they no longer needed supernatural powers. But then they could persuade men the gospel of Christ by intellectual pursuit from educated ministers. I contend with you that if the purpose was to convince the skeptical world of the reality of the gospel, what better time than the present to do miracles when we have a world out there that is nothing but skeptical, questioning, non-believing. We need more miracles now than we've ever need. Don't blame God for the lack of miracles. You know who I blame? Man. I blame us. I blame us for the lack of miracles. I believe that God doesn't change. God never changes. I believe the Bible is full of miracles, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Miracles were very prominent in Jesus' life. He often spoke of his works as bearing witness of the truth and giving power to his message. There is no scripture that I can read that tells me in the slightest way that miracle ceased from operations at the death of the apostles. In fact, in Mark 16, 17, Jesus even said that miraculous signs would follow believers, not just the disciples and the apostles. Miraculous signs would follow the believers. Last week we mentioned that after he was put out of the synagogue, the apostle Paul continued teaching in the school of Tyrannus during his off hours. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Cape Watch Radio with Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of today's program, we'd like to make available to you a free copy of today's message. 
We can send you a copy of today's message on audio CD when you email us at info at capewatchradio.com. That's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can listen to or download the message as originally recorded at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Just visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place your order, you can always call us at 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that toll-free number is 609-884-5821. Again, we invite you to visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com, where we provide helpful information about our beliefs, service times, and a convenient map to our church. You can also email us with any questions or comments you might have. And that address again is info at capewatchradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the Irma, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, Calvary Chapel Cape May is located at 596 Seashore Road in Irma, New Jersey. Cape Watch Radio is the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel Cape May. Please join us next time as we continue our study through the book of Acts. That's next time on Cape Watch Radio.